Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to be with you here today. My name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. And if you've been around Elmwood for a while, you know that uh, the format of today's message is a little bit different than usual. Uh, I'm joined up here today by Suzanne Mullins, who is a member of our church family and uh, the director of our post-gathering prayer ministry. So if you uh, come to receive prayer afterwards, uh, after the service each Sunday, she's one of the people that's uh, usually down here, and she helps to coordinate that. For the past few years now, almost, I've gotten to know Suzanne, and uh, I can't really explain to you in words just how meaningful her ministry of prayer has been to me personally. And she's a friend, a ministry partner, and there really is no one that I would rather be sitting up here with today talking about prayer. A few months back, I asked Suzanne if she would uh, be willing to join me up here for something of an interview so that we could benefit from her wisdom and from her experience in the school of prayer. And she very reluctantly, very hesitantly uh, agreed to that. She was not sure what she was getting into coming up front, being seen in public with me, uh, holding a microphone, and she, uh, she agreed to do it. So we're thankful for that. And uh, what we're going to do today is, uh, as we talk about prayer, as we look at this passage, we're just going to have something of an interview uh, with Suzanne. So thank you for serving our church in this way. I suppose I need to get you a microphone, don't I? It's not going to do any of us any good if we can't hear what you're saying. I actually thought I actually thought that John's plan was that we would share the microphone so that he could grab it from me at any time. So I feel pretty privileged. <laughs> I think I'm the one who needs to have the microphone grabbed from them, not you. <laughs> I got this picture. You want me to show that? Yeah, show it. I love that picture. Um, I don't know if you can really. Oop, I I don't know if you can really see uh, the zebra's expression, but it's like, whoa! How how did all this stress come about? How how did I get here? Um, and I, I don't know, maybe some of you sometimes kind of feel that way when you become anxious. Um, and are asked to do something that you don't do often, like well, speak publicly right. and it's live streamed to the entire world on the internet Correct. and Correct. all those things, you know. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of reason to have some, some stress in there. Yeah. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to uh, read the passage for us. It's just a couple of short verses. I'm going to read this passage from the book of Philippians and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to sort of get into it, okay? So... Listen to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask that this morning you would give us a clear sense of the peace that you describe in this passage. Lord, we uh, look to you as the source of life, as the giver of every good thing, and we come to you expectantly here today. As we think about this important subject of prayer, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would be teaching us and guiding us, and that we would leave here today uh, a people who are more shaped by and more marked by prayer than when we came here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as you heard just a moment ago as I read that passage, uh, the main contrast that is in there is between anxiety and peace. And I think that it's uh, not hard for any of us to see that we live in a world where there is much to worry about, isn't there? Um, For many of us, especially right now, uh, one of the things that's on our minds is things like inflation, things like the economy, things like our personal finances. Maybe you're on a fixed income. Maybe you uh, don't have a lot of wiggle room in your personal budget. And so when inflation strikes and continues to increase, uh, it sort of puts the, tightens the screws on you a little bit. And uh, you maybe worry about your finances. You maybe worry about your future. Uh, We also maybe worry about relationships. Maybe there's relationships you have with a friend or with a parent or with a child or a coworker or uh, an acquaintance or a friend, someone like this, and there's, there's kind of brokenness in that relationship. There's conflict. And you wonder, can this be fixed? Can my marriage be made whole again? Can I experience relationship with this person the way that we had in the past? Is it, is it kind of over the way that it once was? It's not hard to look around and see uh, what's happening culturally and politically and to feel worry about a lot of things happening in our country. Uh, maybe you are thinking about your education, your career path, and you're wondering, am I making the right decisions? Am I taking the right courses? Am I following the right career trajectory? Am I gonna be able to get a job in this field? Is this education gonna be enough? Maybe you are in the midst of a vocation and you're, you're, you're worrying about certain things related to the work environment. Maybe there's volatility with the people you work with. Maybe there's uh, some amount of uncertainty about your job just in general and you wonder if you're gonna have a job, if you're gonna have income over the next uh, number of months. And uh, maybe some of you, it's, it's parenting. There's lots to worry about uh, with parenting. Maybe you're just in a really difficult season of parenting and you don't know what to do and you feel like nothing you do works and you, you worry about your kids and your relationship with them long term and you worry about their relationship with others in the world around them and uh, there's lots of things to worry about. There's plenty of things. We could name a hundred other things but there is so much in the world that we live in that would cause us to feel anxious. And so the question is, okay, what do we do? What do we do? How do we find peace? How do we find stability in the midst of a world where things are constantly pressing in on us that cause us to feel anxious, that cause us to feel worry? Is it even possible to live a life of relative stability and not be overcome by all the things that would cause us to feel anxious? And as we look at this passage just briefly today, uh, the very simple point of it all is this. Prayer is the antidote to a life of anxiety. Very simply put, that's what Paul is teaching us here. Prayer is the antidote to a life of anxiety. Another way of saying that is that prayer is what ushers the peace of God into our lives. And so if we want to be people whose lives are characterized by deep and meaningful peace, not just a sort of fleeting feeling that comes and goes, but a deep, lasting, meaningful peace, if we want to be people whose lives have stability in the midst of uncertainty and anxiety all around us, Paul tells us that the way we achieve that, the way that we can experience that kind of peace that surpasses knowledge and understanding, that doesn't make any logical, rational sense, the way that we do that is by cultivating a life of prayer. Prayer is the antidote to a life of anxiety. So we're gonna be thinking about prayer. We're gonna be looking at this passage and just talking about prayer sort of generally here today. And uh, the first question that I wanna sort of pose uh, to Suzanne is this, how has God used this passage to shape your life of prayer? I just want to make a declaration here at the beginning that my life has always, has not always been a life of prayer. 
it has developed. It's, um, it would be wonderful if when we accepted Christ as our Savior that, you know, this life of prayer was just poured into us. But it's something that we learn along the way and we struggle with. Um, so I'm here today to share the result of years of struggling with prayer. Um, this particular passage, um, there are two facts in, in this passage that really have shaped my life of prayer. And one is that God knows us. It's not that God knows about us, but God knows us. He knows us generally as human beings, that we're pretty frail, um, we're pretty unreliable, we're pretty unfaithful, but he knows us as individuals and exactly what has gone into the making of our life and where you are right now in your life in anxieties. God knows how you got where you are and he's here with us in the midst of that. Um, another thing is that in, these passage, in this passage that God reveals his relationship with us in the midst of anxieties. Um, and I'd like you to just kind of in your mind formulate a circle. If you want to do it on paper with pencil, that's fine too. But in this circle, put in the words, me and my situation, or me and my um, anxieties. And on the outside of that circle, write the word God or Lord. Um, as we read, as John read in verse 5, the Lord is near. So with that picture in mind, there's a circle, and you're on the inside and your problems, your anxieties, and on the outside is God. And when we say the Lord is near, there's a way to say that, that the Lord is near, he's watching, he's keeping track of you, he's got his, his sheet there and he's marking things off. How are you doing? How are you doing with anxiety? Well, Suzanne's got like a minus five today. Um, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is draw another circle. And in that circle, put me and my anxiety, my situation, as Paul refers to it, and God. And that's what I want us to really grasp today is that God is in us in those situations that create anxiety for us. We live in a culture that values expediency, that values efficiency, that values instant results. We want things that we want them now. Anyone who's cultivated a life of prayer knows that prayer is basically the opposite of that. <laughs> prayer is slow. Prayer is inefficient in so many ways. And I know, Suzanne, you've getting to know you, I've heard you share some of your story and how you've, there's been things that you've prayed about for a long time. And so help us understand the importance of having a long-term view of prayer. Okay. Um, just so you know that, um, well, there's been some situations in my life that have kind of been long-standing um, situations that need a lot of prayer. So I've actually been praying for some things in my life longer than most of you have even been alive, including you, John. Especially me. Especially you. <laughs> That's a long time when you think about it. Decades, decades. And it just seemed like nothing was happening. Um, 
And as the years went by, as the decades went by, and these situations just kind of sat there, uh, you know, bits and pieces here and there, but basically they just sat there. And in, the, in recent years, the recent decade, God has been bringing to me an understanding that when petitions, specific requests in specific instances in my life have remained unanswered or just a little answer here, a little answer there, but I was not satisfied with the answer. God had two higher purposes for these situations and my petitions, he listened, but he had two things that he needed to work with me on. One of them is conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a very priority purpose for God as we live our whole lives. The second one is God needed that, knew that I needed to learn what it is to be content with his will, not mine, but his in my life as a whole, as well as in these situations that were um, making me lose some stripes, as our dear friend the zebra did. Um, and these two reasons, purposes, are very intertwined. And to begin with, I'd just like to uh, take us to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And just prior to, the, um, to Jesus' crucifixion, he took his disciples, three of his disciples, and they went off to um, Gethsemane, and, they, and Jesus prayed. And he went by himself, and his agonizing prayer was, Thy will be done, Father, not mine. Thy will, thy will. Jesus wrestled, and, and that's beyond my comprehension. God the Son wrestled with taking in God's will, not his. And that relinquishment to the Father contributed to Jesus' strength and his peace as he lived out those indescribable atrocities before crucifixion. And then the final ons onslaught was as he was crucified and he became sin for us. And that relinquishment to God's will had a great deal to do with the strength and the peace that Jesus lived out in those uh, days, in those, in those hours. Um, Jesus wrestling with that prayer, thy will be done, was absolutely necessary. And God made sure that we today are able to read that. Jesus had to wrestle through, thy will be done. And God knew that I had to learn what it is to submit my will to his will. Um, wasn't easy. God is a patient teacher. He is so patient. Um, and I learned the difference between saying those words at the end of a prayer or even as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's easy to pray and say those words. Your will be done at the end of a prayer. But I've learned the difference in saying those words and in really knowing the joyous assurance that, yes, God, 
I want your will in my life. I want your will in this situation. One thing I'll tag on to that is I think there's a, there's a formative shaping aspect of prayer. I think we know from looking at the Bible and seeing a whole book of Psalms that we read from here each week and we pray through those, those are given to us by God, not only to just inform us about the prayers of how people prayed in the past, but to teach us how to pray and to shape our life of prayer. And I think it's especially important as we think about the, the idea of, of having a long-term view of prayer, uh, to really have that be right close next to our understanding of the way that God uses prayer, not just to get things done, God uses prayer to shape us. And so repeatedly coming to God in humility, repeatedly coming to him in complete and utter dependence, casting ourselves on him, being forced to in those moments when we see prayers that are maybe unanswered or not answered the way that we would want them to be answered, we're forced to remember the nature and the character of God. And it's in those moments God uses that long-term laboring and prayer to actually shape us into a certain kind of person. And I think it's so important for us to remember that. You know, we know that God does use prayer to do things. That's part of how God gets things done in the world is we don't fully understand it, but God uses our prayers to actually do things. And many of us in this room can share stories about specific things we've prayed for, even in the moment that God answered right there on the spot. And we also know in the book of James where he says that, you know, sometimes we don't have because we didn't ask. And at the same time, we know that prayer is more than just a vehicle for getting things done. Prayer is one of the ways that God has uh, designed for us to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ. And, and as Suzanne, you shared just a, a moment ago, I think it's so important to, to keep in mind that, that the idea you shared of, of the Lord being near. One of those, you know, it almost can feel something like a throwaway phrase in here. We just gloss over so quickly when it says the Lord is near. And having an awareness of, of God is our in-the-midst God who's with us in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the, the waiting and in the midst of maybe the, the crying or the weeping or the agonizing in prayer, as we do that over the long haul, God is with us in that. And we know his character. We know his character. And so what we know is that he is not cruelly or vindictively withholding from us good things that we need. We know that he is not keeping good things from us because he's trying to punish us or because he's trying to make us, you know, he's trying to make us pay for bad things we've done. No, we know the character of God and so we, we have to know, okay, if my prayers are not being answered the way that I want them to, we know what it can't mean. It can't mean that God doesn't love me. So what it has to mean is that he is, even through the painful process of long-term prayer, he is molding and softening my heart to the place of experientially knowing that he is enough. That in the midst of all the things that the unanswered prayers that we would have, even if none of those are answered, we would still know in, in, in the midst of that that he himself is enough. And so that's uh, just such a wonderful uh, encouragement. And I can tell you, uh, I, I obviously haven't had as much experience as you have, uh, but I can tell you that long-term prayer is hard. It can get tiring and you can feel like Am I talking to a brick wall? Does God even care? And those, those feelings, those thoughts can creep in when we come to those moments. And it's so important for us to remember that he, is, that he is near to us and that he uses us to shape us and to form us into his image. Can I say something else? Yes, you can. Um, to kind of tag along with, with what John has just said, for me, um, 
being content, being content in God's will for me and for my circumstances um, has been at the absolute core of God conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. Without that, God knew that had to be settled, um, that I'm content. Not just that I accept it, but beyond that, I'm content. Um, and the bottom line for me over this, the past decade, as God and I have been wrestling with this, I'm a slow learner. God knows that. Um, so, you know, hopefully you Welcome guys are... Welcome to the club. Well, you, you've got a lot of years to go before you can say you are a slow learner. Um, I hope you're, none of you are as slow learners as I am, okay? I hope you learn a lot faster. But the bottom line of what I've learned in these two uh, very important pieces of long-term prayer and looking at the value of waiting on God um, do I trust God's sovereignty in my life? And when we really stop and think God's will, do I trust his sovereignty? Another way of putting that is, do I trust my life to God's sovereignty, to God's will? And as John was saying, as we learn to know God, we learn that he is everything all at once. Nothing, you know, as parents, I could be really loving and caring, um, but the justice part and the discipline part would kind of fall to the bottom. And then other times, man, that discipline piece would be right up there. Be, this is non-negotiable, you guys. And sometimes the kindness the loving kindness, the gentleness would kind of, it was gone. But my kids got to know me. You know, they knew I fluctuated. God doesn't fluctuate. He, in his sovereignty, when we say, your will, God, he is kind. His loving kindness is there. His gentleness is there. He's with us totally, unlike us as parents or friends or whatever. A third question. What encouragement would you give to someone who struggles to pray? Now, when I posed this question to Suzanne during our time of prep, uh, we, we felt like this could go one of about a thousand different directions. And we felt like the best stewardship of this time in particular was not to try and give a bunch of like tips. You know, like, well, you could try journaling or you could try prayer walking or you could try, you know, kneeling or like we didn't feel like the best use of our time was to try and just throw spaghetti at the wall of you know, some tips that hopefully might help you. Uh, so we're, we decided to kind of tag team this one and kind of just distilled it down into two sort of main encouragements. And one of these is, is from me and one of these is from Suzanne. And so uh, the two encouragements are honestly evaluate the life that you've created and secondly, cultivate a love for the character of God. So that first one, uh, my encouragement to you, if you're here today and you struggle to pray, uh, honestly evaluate the life that you've created. Now, let me share a little bit about what I mean by that. This is uh, largely based on my personal experience, and I also know that my experience is not uh, so unlike many of yours in the room uh, that no one else would be able to identify with this. 
I'm assuming that many of us would be able to resonate and say, yep, uh, guilty as charged, I get it. Um, so honestly evaluate the life you've created. I, I've been, I feel like I've been kind of learning since the beginning of this year in particular uh, that prayer is hard in part because life in our modern age is lived at warp speed. And in fact, we are always busy all the time. We are, uh, you could say, chronically, compulsively busy. And busyness is a badge of honor for many people. You know, you, you ask people how they're doing and almost 90% of the time, a part of their answer will say, oh, I'm doing really good, but man, oh, I'm just so busy. And that's just like what we're used to. That's like the sort of just the natural pace of life we live at in, in sort of modern society. And living life at warp speed is an environment that is inhospitable to a life of slow, inefficient prayer. And so part of it is that sometimes the pace of life that we've created, that we have made lifestyle decisions about what's gonna be in our schedules and what we're gonna do and how many activities we're gonna participate in, uh, sometimes we just have done that without thinking a whole lot about it and all of a sudden we realize, oh wait, my life is sort of lived at a frantic pace and I, and I don't feel like I can pray and maybe the problem isn't with prayer. Maybe the problem isn't that prayer is boring Maybe the problem, in part, is that the life we've created doesn't allow any space, any margin for prayer. And so I know that's, that's in part, uh, something that I've been thinking about and trying to make adjustments uh, to my own life. And so I think, in part, my encouragement is, if you're here today and you feel like prayer is hard, uh, evaluate the, the, the pace of life that you've created for yourself and maybe do some honest evaluation and some course correction and saying, okay, something's gotta give because the pace of life that I've constructed for myself doesn't allow space for a meaningful life of prayer to be cultivated. And so if I wanna do that, there's certain things that I have to uh, maybe give up, certain things I need to choose not to participate in. And if every moment of our lives are filled with something besides prayer, we're never gonna be people whose lives are uh, saturated with or lived in an awareness of God's presence through prayer. And so. Uh, if you're here today and you're struggling to pray, my encouragement would be uh, just do some honest self-reflection and assessment of the, the lifestyle that you've created and just ask yourself, does the life I've created actually allow any meaningful space for prayer to take place, for silence, for reflection, for just sitting unhurriedly? Does my life have any space for that? And just do some honest self-reflection. But we can't end there because there's something more foundational than even that. Sure, we need to do that life assessment, but also... Uh, to really ha cultivate a life of prayer, we have to uh, cultivate a love for the character of God. So would you just share with us a little bit about that aspect of it? Um, John kind of threw me a loop here. I did. You did. Great. You, you did a fine <laughs> job. <laughs> this Isn't this fun? It, it is. It's just She's never going to do fun. this again. It's just, just a lot of fun. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. It's really not fun. Um, yeah, this is not what we talked about on Thursday at all, John. Yep. Yep, okay. That's what happens with sermon prep, is you talk about stuff on Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday happen. And then Sunday morning happens, and it <laughs> changes even more. So here we are with a change schedule. See, normally no one else has to deal with my like late change of mind or change of plans, Correct. except for me. No one right. else knows. So. Sorry. <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I am going to take this a little different, but it is definitely um, getting to know God, getting to know who he is. And, um, you know, we think of prayer, oftentimes we think of prayer as being this, it, it's got to be, you know, it's confession, it's got to be thanks, it's got to be praise, it's got to be petition. You know, we've got these four divided areas it is, or three, or two, or whatever. But the honest truth is, is that any communication with God at all is prayer. It can be spoken word, it can be thoughts, um, it can just be whatever. And if you're really struggling with prayer, I think this is something to keep in mind. Any communication with God of any sort is prayer. And that is relationship building with God. Um, I don't know where any of you are, but there have been some times in my life when the only communication that I could, could have with God when especially when I would go to bed at night, I would just slip my Bible under my pillow. And um, I didn't realize that at the time that I was communicating with God. But when the dreams came, when the worries came, when the anxieties were there, I would just slip my hand underneath my pillow and feel the Bible, and it was just, oh, that's my foundation. That's my foundation. And even in that... God was bringing his peace to me in the midst. And I wasn't asking for his peace. I was simply, I, I was just trying to, to stay somewhat sane and sensible. And if that's where your communication with God is, where it's those very basic that you don't even realize you're communicating with God, they are relationship building with God. Um, another communication with God that has proven so important to me is the simple words, change my heart, oh God. And sometimes I don't even know the changes that God needs to bring. I just know that my heart with God is not what I want it to be. I know there's something there that is it, between God and me. There, There's... That relationship is not what I want it to be, not what he needs it to be. And that simple prayer, change my heart, O oh God, we're giving him permission to do a work in us that is beyond us. And it's, it's a petition. It's a very powerful petition. And we don't know what God is going to do. And that's where trusting God's will, when I open that request to him, I know he is going to do what is right for me. He's going, to, he's going to build that relationship between God and me. And anxiety-wise, um, change my heart, oh God. You know, when I look at my life, I think, whoa, just like the, the zebra did. How did this happen? How did I get so concerned? How did I get so anxious? Change my heart. And God will do that. He's done it for me, and I'm just one of his kids. Um, it's a very slow learner. He'll do it for you also. Um, 
And regarding Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a piece of prayer that is really, really important. And, you know, oftentimes we're taught these prayers, you know, and, and they just kind of roll off of our tongue and we really don't know what we're saying. Other times we just kind of build our own liturgy. I would challenge you that as you come to the Thanksgiving part to God, as you're communicating with him, catch yourself if you're kind of on this roll. Thank you, Lord, for the house you've given me. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for, your, for the food you provide. Thank you for the job. Thank you for my family. And we just kind of have this little liturgy that we go through. I would encourage you to get out of that box and to go to creative thankfulness for God. Think about who God is. Thank him. Thank him that he's faithful. Thank him that he's compassionate. Thank him for who he is. And when it comes to, you know, thank you for all these material things, get out of your box and thank him for something that maybe you've never, ever thanked him for before. Uh, for me, thanking God for snow and ice, that's really stretching it. <laughs> nope. Really stretching it. So, you know, it's like, okay, I know you've got this whole storehouse for snow and ice, and you just kind of, you know, give it to us when you want to. Um, help me to see the beauty of that. And there's a lot of things in life where we can say, maybe I'm not thankful for it, but help me to see the beauty that is in some of what you do that just is beyond my ability to comprehend that. What I love about what you just shared is that those things, those simple prayers of God changed my heart, even when I don't know maybe exactly what that is going to look like or what that even means, praying that, you know, those prayers of, you know, when, you, when all you can muster is God help. Uh, in those moments, you know, thanking God for things, you know, even that you don't like now, but you would like to appreciate them, like snow and ice. Uh, these are not things that take a significant amount of time, okay? Uh, you know, cultivating a life of prayer does not mean setting aside a four-hour chunk of time of undistracted time with no kids and, you know, just you and Jesus and a Bible. Sometimes that's great. And when you can have those moments, that's awesome. Those are really meaningful. And yet what, what you shared is, you know, goes hand in hand with like, yes, we have to create a life where prayer is, uh, where prayer is even possible, where we can spend time communing with God. And at the same time, it doesn't have to be this like crazy long thing that we just spend hours pouring out our hearts in prayer. It can be so simple and so um, spur of the moment. And that, and even God uses those, those sort of unformed thoughts and prayers to uh, to really shape us, and so that's a that's a great, uh, yeah, just a really great thing. You know, another thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, God is fully aware of our stages in life, and He knows exactly what is making up your life. I happen to have the privilege now of being retired, so I honestly can spend those hours with God that I've never been able to before. And it is a gift beyond measure. Um, so, you know, as you're 
looking at retirement at somewhere down the line, let God direct your retirement hours and days and months and years. He's got some really good things in store for you. I know I tell my kids this sometimes. The best is yet to come. You know, they just kind of look at me like, oh, whoa, what planet is mom living on? Um, but it is good, it is good to spend time alone with God. And uh, in the example we, we saw of Jesus when he was praying, when he was wrestling with, your will not mine be done. When those times come in your life, even when your life is full, when you've got kids and grandkids and jobs and a jillion things on your schedule, if you need that time alone with God, uh, just ask him, God, I, I, need, I need at least 30 minutes with you uninterrupted. And you will be amazed that God will provide that space for you so that you can conduct that business with God one-on-one -on -one, with no disruptions. Um, he's our good God. What gospel hope do you find in this passage, Suzanne? They're found. Okay. Um, there's three things, three gospel hopes that I find in this, and it does definitely have to do with God, with the character of God, and what God says in these four short verses about him and his relationship with us in the midst of anxiety, stressing, um, lives, and the way we live. One of them is... God is compassionate. He is always compassionate. And in every detail of our life, every situation we're in, God is passionate. No matter how painful that situation is, no matter how dark that situation may feel, we may feel that there's no way out, no matter how alone you might feel as you are walking through that situation, you can always know with full assurance that you are deeply loved and cherished by God. That does not change. Another piece of God's character that is so important to me, God is trustworthy. He is trustworthy no matter what I talk to him about. We all have relationships and friends, and we know that they're trustworthy. But oftentimes, in our own understanding and wisdom, we decide what we want to entrust to those people that are trustworthy. We have measurements of trustworthiness. And I can tell this to one person, one friend, but I can't tell it to another friend, even though that friend is trustworthy. But with God, he is totally trustworthy with whatever I share with him. He is not going to take it and destroy me with it. He's not going to take it and use it against me. He is in the circle with me as I'm living life, so to speak. And if that circle, all of the boundaries of that circle get just kind of 
lost and they just kind of explode, God is still with me. He's still trustworthy. And just an example of that is if you feel alone, God has told us, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I am with you. And he is trustworthy. And we can trust him with that. The third thing is, and again, something that's very important to me, is God is our Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And that's important for us to know, and that's important for, or for us to live with. But more important for me is, is that he knows the beginning and he knows the end of my whole life, as well as every situation that is anxiety-producing, but he also knows what is in that midst between the beginning and the end. And that gives great confidence and great assurance when we talk to God about it, because he knows when it's going to end, but he also knows you're in the middle of it right now. You've got 30 more years to go in this situation, Suzanne, but I'm going to be with you every second of that journey. Oh, one more thing. Um, as a result of understanding and, and just growing, learning to know God more, um, when God says that his, his peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he's saying that this is in the context of anxiety. He knows that we're really poor guards of our own heart and mind when it comes to anxiety. I don't know how to do that. That's why I slept with the Bible under my pillow, because I was not a good, I, I've never been a good guard against anxiety, but God is. And he says, my peace, my peace is your guard of your heart and mind against anxiety. And I just want to say this that at the end of all of my situations, as Paul has, has uh, said, God has given, has ushered in his peace in my heart and life in ways that I would have never dreamed possible. His peace, the God of peace is in my life. His peace is in my heart and in my, in my mind. And I never dreamed that peace of that depth would be mine. God did it for me. He'll do it for you. He, that's, that's his promise. And he is trustworthy. And he knows exactly where you are. Suzanne, thank you. This has been such an encouraging and refreshing time, and I trust it has been for the rest of you as well. Thank you for taking the risk to come up here and uh, be seen in public with me and all those things. Uh, we've been such, so benefited by your, your insight and your wisdom and your experience over the years doing, uh, walking through life and learning how to pray, and uh, we're so thankful for that. As we come to the communion table today, we come in response to the good news that's found in this passage, and the good news is that we are promised more than a feeling of peace. We are promised the God of peace himself. 
The text says in verse 7, Paul says, bring everything to God in prayer, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 9 he says, and the God of peace will be with you. So we are promised not just that we have an inner feeling of peace, but we're promised the God of peace himself will be with us. And any inner feeling of peace we may have, any emotion uh, of peace that we may have uh, is grounded in the reality that God has made peace between us and himself through the work of Jesus. Any feelings of peace we have, the peace that transcends understanding, would not be possible if God did not do his work to reconcile us in relationship and to bridge that gap relationally. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes this. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm always astonished at that verse, that God brought about peace through a set of circumstances that were anything but peaceful. God brought about peace through violence and through the execution of his son Jesus. And that's the grounding, that's the basis for the peace that we have. And any feeling of peace that we have is rooted in that hope. And so we know that God is a God of peace. We know that he's restoring peace and we get to experience that relationship with him. We get to experience the peace that he's made between us uh, and himself through Jesus. And we get to experience peace as well as we cast our worries and our anxieties on him through prayer. But we come here today celebrating uh, that he is a God of peace and he's made a way for us to be re reunited in relationship with him. And that's what we celebrate at the communion table. So as we come here this morning, I'd like to invite you to take just a moment of silent confession and reflection.